Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Many of you might have heard of the term tiger moms before. If not tiger moms, what about helicopter parents? Apparently, according to the internet, uh, these kind of parents are on their way out because a new, more deadly kind of parent is pushing their way through the schoolyard. Uh, This kind of parent will stop at nothing to ensure their child's success. This new type of parenting is called snowplow parenting. These parents are, are intent on removing any and all obstacles in the way of their child in order that their child does not have to face any pain, any trial, any difficulty on their way to success. If their child struggles, snowplow parents will take matters into their own hands and accomplish those challenges all on their own, thinking that they're helping their child without realizing the long-term consequences of their approach. And you know, to a certain extent, I can kind of see where they're coming from. Uh, Let me give you an example. For instance, mornings in our household can get kind of hectic. Mom and dad both getting ready for the workday, setting out breakfast, letting the dog outside, and of course, getting two sleepy boys ready for school. And it's always somewhere around the fifth or the sixth reminder to brush their teeth and pick out clothes for the day that dear old dad starts to lose patience. I think it would be much easier, I say to myself, if I were to just pick out their clothes for them, brush their teeth, get them dressed, and then carry them sack of potatoes style out to the car. But then, what have they learned? We all tend, uh, we have this tendency, rather, to take matters into our own hands when something is not going quite right or we feel that it's taking too long. And in Genesis 16, which Pastor Edwards just read for you, that's exactly the situation in which we find Abram and Sarai, or as we know them, Abraham and Sarah. For you remember that Abraham had received a promise from God that he would be made into a father of a great multitude, a great nation, and that through his descendants, God had chosen to bless not just Abraham, but the entire world. Abraham and Sarah, to their credit, both believed in this promise, but then, as the story goes, time passed. Many years passed. And now Abraham and Sarah weren't exactly young when God first made that promise, and they certainly weren't getting younger. To top it all off, Sarah, of course, was still barren. Maybe, they started to think, maybe we need to take matters into our own hands, try to force the issue forward. So, Sarah comes up with a plan. Maybe, she thought, it was just Abram that is needed in order for this promise to be fulfilled. And so, she offers up her servant, Hagar, to Abraham that he might obtain a child, an heir, from her. Abram, of course, listens, and Hagar becomes pregnant. Presto, fixo, problem solved, right? Well, not quite. This situation only caused issues and trouble for Abraham's household. Hagar, who was blessed with child, began to look with contempt upon Sarah, who was still unable to conceive. Hagar's behavior got so bad that Sarah began to abuse her in return, which then caused Hagar 
to flee the house. But then, after all of this sordid affair gets cleared up, and God convinces Hagar to return to Sarah and give birth to her son, Ishmael, God then makes it clear in the next chapter to Abraham that despite his efforts, despite all this headache and heartache, that Ishmael was not the son that God had promised. You will have a son by Sarah, God tells Abraham, who is now 100 years old and his wife 90. So Abraham replies in terror, as you or I might, Oh, but Lord, would that Ishmael might live before you instead. Here Abraham is trying to demonstrate to God that he is already taking care of the busy work of having this son. But no, God says, Sarah, your wife, she will bear your son, and you will call this son's name Isaac. Abraham and Sarah did not have to take matters into their own hands to have a son. They did not need to kickstart God's plan or try to force his blessings upon them. God himself, he was going to take care of fulfilling his promise in his way and at his time. When it comes to the blessings and promises of God, we, sinners, have the unfortunate tendency to try to take matters into our own hands and usurp his plan for us. We imagine that somehow it's up to us to activate God's promises by cleaning up our lives, showing him how sincerely or earnestly we believe. We think that we can manipulate God by our good works or try to force his hand to pour out his blessings upon us. We become impatient with God as we wait for his promises to come to fruition. And so we try to take our relationship with God into our own hands and trust not in him, but in ourselves to get the job done. In order to maintain our status as God's children, we imagine that we've got to prove ourselves to him over and over again. Raise your hand if you've ever heard this one before. God helps those who help themselves. Yes, we've all heard that before, but thanks be to God that that's not how it works. When we say things like this, we try to exchange the freedom of the gospel for the slavery of the law. Rather than living under the freedom of Jesus' words from the cross, it is finished and trusting that it truly is, we try to bind ourselves right back to the law. The law which says, do more, do better, try harder. In the book of Galatians, St. Paul repeatedly demonstrated the foolishness of this kind of thinking. In the third chapter of his epistle, he writes, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. And then in chapter 4, Paul supplements his argument with an illustration. You guessed it, the story of Hagar and Sarah. Now this story, St. Paul writes, may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. This is Hagar. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children, but the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. 
In other words, Hagar represents the law which is given at Mount Sinai. The directions, as we heard, for God's covenantal people to follow. All those who submit to the slavery of the law, who try to stake their salvation in their own works, they are like children of Hagar. They are Ishmaels. And what eventually happened to Hagar and Ishmael? What do the scriptures say, St. Paul asks? Cast out the slave woman and her son. Ishmael was not the son of promise. He was the son produced by Abraham's foolish efforts, his blindsided appearance of working the law. And he was rejected, as ultimately all will be who stake their salvation only on the law. But God called Abraham and Sarah to trust in his promise and to live by faith. God, as we see, would take care of it. And though it seemed impossible, God's promises were good. Sarah gave birth to a son, the son of promise, and they named him Isaac. Now you, brothers, Paul explains, like Isaac, are children of promise. We are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Those who live by faith, not by works, are also sons of the promise, sons of Abraham, and heirs to all God's blessings. But it is not faith in Isaac, you see, that brings the blessings of God's salvation. Rather, it is faith in the true son of Abraham, the true son of God. The son through whom the whole world would be blessed. The son whose work sets us free from slavery under the law. As our loving Heavenly Father, our God has removed the obstacles between us and our salvation because he saw plainly that we could never do it on our own, no matter how hard we tried. He sent his only begotten Son into this world and he called him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. This son, would also be born through miraculous circumstances. Not through an old, barren woman, but through a young virgin. This son would also walk up a mountain to be sacrificed. Only on that mountain, God did not stop the hands which placed a crown of thorns on his head or plunged nails into his hands and feet. In suffering and dying for us at Calvary, Jesus completed the work of the law. Suffering the consequences of our sins and our lack of faith and winning for us freedom as he declared, it is finished. Jesus is the true son of God, the true son of Abraham, whose eternal blessings are received only by faith. For in Christ Jesus, Paul writes, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have now put on Christ. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring and heirs according to promise. There's an old Sunday school song that many of you likely know, and it goes, Father Abraham had many sons. That's right. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and... 
So are you, that's right. You and I, we have been given the right in Christ Jesus to be called sons of God. Sons of Abraham. Children of our Heavenly Father. All of this we have been given not by our own effort, but all through the merit and work of His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So, let's all praise the Lord. Amen. May the peace of God, which far surpasses all understanding, guard and keep you in this same Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen.